All right, well, if you, if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, we will have the scriptures on the screen. Um, you know, occasionally uh, we'll, we'll take a morning and, you know, one pack a specific story in the scripture. Um, at times we'll hone in on two or three verses and kind of unpack them, or we might even look at a few different passages of scripture. But we are actually going to sit and unpack all of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 together this morning. It's going to take us maybe 15 or 20 minutes to walk through this. And then there's a couple of things at the end I want to share that hopefully we'll just kind of pull it all together. Um, but primarily, we're going to be in, in 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that was in the town of Corinth. And so this is a letter being written to believers, people that Paul loved and he'd been pouring into their life. And he wants them to understand something incredible. And so as as the church, I want us to hear this this morning. I want us to hear it like from, from a father figure who wants to pass something on to the children. I don't say that as me as the father figure. Paul, who, who heard from God and wrote this to say, come on, there's an incredible invitation for the children of God. And so my prayer is that we'll hear that invitation this morning. So one more time, Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you give good gifts to your kids and that one of those gifts is the gift of your spirit, your presence in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that you love the Father and you reflect him. You told us that you only did what you saw the Father doing. And we thank you that you are the word come alive. And so Jesus, you lived out these very things that we're gonna be reading about this morning. And so Jesus, I pray we would just see you and understand you this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you came and you inspired Paul to write these words. All scripture was breathed by the Spirit of God. And it's that same Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are now here with us. You're, you're in this room with us, but you're in our hearts individually. Would you make this scripture, these words, come alive in our hearts today? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're trusting you to, to help us to see what you want us to see today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a math teacher named Mr. Dietrich. And all I know of his first name is that his first name is Mr. You, you might remember his first, yeah. See, I, we he wouldn't even tell you his first name, Mr. Dietrich. He was just one of those guys like, I mean, just the name Dietrich sounds really official, doesn't it? And uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. When you hear the name Mr. Dietrich, what subject, if you were in high school, would you imagine that a Mr. Dietrich would teach? Math. Excellent. Science was like a close second, right? A couple people were probably guessing that. Math. Mr. Dietrich taught math. And the thing that drove me crazy about Mr. Dietrich is that he could care less if I had the right answer at the end of the math problem. Seriously, I had to show my work. Does, it, does anybody remember those math days? Show your work. I could have the right answer and he would count it wrong if I didn't show the work or if the work wasn't right. The other thing that he would do though that I guess was kind of cool, but at the time it really just annoyed me, is he would give me credit if the work was correct and I just made like an, an arithmetic mistake. But like logically, if he could see my line of thinking and that it was correct, he'd give me credit for that. But it drove me crazy because it's like, I, 
I, I kind of had the ability, I never really liked math. My dad likes math. But what I did adopt from my dad was I was good at it. I was good at it, but I didn't like it. And so I, when I was doing math, I just wanted to get through it as quick as I could. So it's like I could see it, and a lot of times, pretty quickly, I could just see the answer. It was just there. It wasn't hard for me to figure it out. And so, man, I just wanted to skip through it. Like, I got it. I got the right answer. Let me get it on the page and move on. But Mr. Dietrich would not allow me to do that. And he forced me to slow down, work out the problem, and then arrive at the right answer. Why did he do that? Was it just to drive me crazy? Yes, Tony, I agree with you. I think it was. <laughs> we must have had the same math teacher. You must have had Mr. Dietrich in Wisconsin. Um, so he, was, he probably flew back and forth between Texas and Wisconsin, yeah. But um, man, no, the truth was he was equipping me for the future. He knew that if I knew how to work out the problem, that I could encounter any similar problem and work it out to get to the solution. He was giving me the tools and the resources that would enable me to work things out. But I just wanted to quickly rush to the answer. Now this morning, we are talking about the Holy Spirit as our teacher. And I just have to tell you, whatever phase of life you are in, however long you've walked with the Lord, whatever your, your, your experience is and your relationship with God, he invites us to adopt the position of a learner with his spirit, his presence as our teacher, as our guide. Now that might seem obvious to us and maybe us might say, well, I already have that position. But I think pretty often in Christian circles, we're just quick to skip to the answer. Like, I, I just, let me get the answers. There's the answers. I've got them. Now I'm good to go for the rest of my life. Jesus did this. It equals this. Now my future is established and let me just move on. But God is actually inviting us to continue to discover things. He's teaching us about who he is, about what Jesus has done for us, about what all his salvation works out in our life so that I've got the equipment to work through the inevitable problems I will face in this life. And not just vaguely hold on to the answer, well, Jesus's promises are good for me. And I just say it like a platitude that has no real meaning or depth. When he's saying, no, in this situation, I want to show up and I want to show off and show you how in this situation, in this circumstance, in this problem, I'm going to lead you to what I'm doing. I'm going to lead you to myself. And you'll discover the answer in this situation. And so God is inviting us to adopt the position of a learner with him as the teacher. Okay, so this is, this is what Paul is talking about. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's talking to them about the posture he took in teaching them and inviting them into the gospel, into knowing who Jesus is. And he's inviting them to grow in it. So let's check this out together. We're going to start by reading about five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He's saying, hey, this wasn't about my ability to be an amazing communicator or to just have these lofty sounding words that would inspire you. Man, I just got down to brass taxes. I came to you in humility and said, this is Jesus. This is who he is. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm showing you Jesus as the crucified son of God. He came with that, that basic, simple gospel message. He said, verse four, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, the things God wants to teach us have real impact when they land. When I understand the reality of Jesus Christ and the life that's available in him, it's meant to, it's meant to do something. It's not meant to just be information that's stored away in the files of my mind. It's meant to come alive in me. So verse five, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, Paul is setting up the entire theme of what he wants to talk about in this chapter. Your faith does not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I believe, and I think there's a lot of evidence of this, that we live in a day where we start with the wisdom of man and then we test God and his word against our wisdom to see if it lines up. Did y'all catch that? We start with the wisdom of men and then we decide to see if God and his word lines up with it. And then we pick and choose what we think fits the wisdom of the day. Now, this is, this is massively prevalent outside of Christian circles, but this is actually happening within the church. We are basing the way that we view life and this world and the decisions we make about this world and what we think God is up to through the lens of our own wisdom, our own understanding, our own particular tribe that we've aligned with instead of the exact opposite reverse. What God intends is for us to take the position of a learner, let him be the teacher, and let him be the filter that decides is the wisdom of this world lining up with what he says is truth. He will help us have proper perspective on the world around us. But see, we've decided in these different pockets, in these different, different spots, that this this pocket, this group over here, this way of thinking over here, they hold the truth. And we've forgotten that this is where the truth starts. And listen, it's not just this. This is talking about someone. Right? This is the word of God, but we use the word of God to know the God of the word. I'm meant to know him. And then he guides me into all truth, the scripture says. And so we just have to decide right from the jump, whose wisdom am I resting upon? Now, Paul's gonna begin to unpack this a little bit more because this is difficult. So verse six, he says, listen, now just to be clear, I'm not talking about you not having any wisdom. He says, yet among the mature, that word actually means complete, or whole, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age 
or of the rulers of this age. Why? Because they are doomed to pass away. Following God is not about being ignorant or checking your brain at the door. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is a maturity that recognizes that there is wisdom that only comes from God. And I want to learn it. Now, to talk about that maturity, I have to talk about immaturity for a minute. So when I was a kid, and I think this really started around middle school, but it definitely continued through high school, you know, there's dads that have these different phrases, right? It's always funny when my dad's in the room and I'm telling a story from my childhood, but he can call me out if I get it wrong, right? Um, But, you know, dads have these little phrases, but I remember this very particular phrase where he would say to me, and this was, I feel like this happened every so often, he would say to me, I wish I knew half as much as you think you know. I wish I knew half as much as you think you know. Because I just had it all figured out. I couldn't be taught. And what, the way I operated is I actually thought maturity was having it all figured out. I was really cocky that I knew how things worked and had understanding and it was all pride. Was, was that a reflection of be, me, me being mature because I had all the answers? No. It was a sign of immaturity. In fact, it's a sign of ignorance when someone thinks they have it all figured out and they have all the answers. The reality is the maturity that leads to wisdom is the opposite of the immaturity that leads to ignorance. And the difference hinges on this one issue. The immaturity that leads to ignorance is rooted in pride. The maturity that leads to wisdom is rooted in humility. Am I going to let him be God? Like really, truly, am I going to let him be the one that knows? Am I going to let him be the one that created things, that designed things, that maybe the kind of a mind that could create the solar system and keep it working and functioning in perfect unity, that the mind that could create that, he didn't just skip to the answer. He understands the unbelievable technological detailed sequence of things that have to transpire so I can stand here today and breathe. I mean, the amount of complexity and detail in one cell of the human body boggles the imagination. And yet I stand here today because an an intelligent being said, this is what it's going to take for life to happen right there. And not only is that life going to be able to physically move around and operate, that life's going to have intelligence and ability to process information. And then that life is going to have within it a spirit, something that gives it eternal depth, consequence, significance, even glory. Because I bear a little bit of his image. He is the all-knowing God. And even when I rely on the human wisdom of the day, that's not like that's wisdom I've earned. I'm just reading stuff and hoping it's accurate information from whoever wrote it. I'm skipping ahead. (laughs) Okay, let's keep going. Verse seven. 
Okay, so now Paul's saying, listen, if, if we will realize that there is a wisdom that's available from those who are, being, who are willing to be mature, to put themselves in a place to have humility and learn from God, here's what's available. You, you, you are not gonna find it from the wisdom of the age because they're doomed to pass away. Instead, here's what he says, verse seven. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom. The visual there is actually like treasure hidden away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Listen, this is an important point to understand here. God's wisdom is not obvious. It's not obvious. I mean, I wonder how often when Jesus was walking the earth and he said some of the things he said that everybody just sat there and went, oh yeah, that, that was so obvious. Was that people's reaction to Jesus? When he was speaking and teaching and working miracles, were they just like, oh yeah, I get that. I, I totally saw that coming. They were, yeah, they were constantly, they had that look that my dog gets, you know, where their ears come forward a little bit and the head kind of tilts. It's like, that's a great mystery to me. Like that, that's how people were reacting. They were watching, just going, what? What? I mean, even his own disciples that knew him so well, just when they thought they'd figured him out, he, he sends them for a spin again. The wisdom of God is not obvious, but when discovered, it is glorious. The wisdom of God is not obvious, but when discovered, it's glorious. I, I love this. This is the first hint. See, God is not, the message Paul's communicating here is not this arrogant God that's going, ah, I'm hot stuff. And I know some things and you don't. And so you just sit back and worship me. This God that, that has this wisdom is saying, I want to share it. And it's available. And it's in me. And, and look, it doesn't say there's plenty of scriptures that talk about things being for his glory. But this wisdom that's available, the wisdom of God that's available, whose glory is it for? Look at the verse. Our glory. We are his inheritance. That's right. He loves us and wants to give us stuff himself. And he wants a relationship with us. And so he said, I want to share this with you. And man, it's going to bring glory into your life. It's going to be amazing and rich. And he goes on, verse eight, this is so important. He goes on to emphasize the point. You can see him going back and forth. It's not, I didn't come to you in, in high speech, lofty speech, great wisdom. I came to you in simplicity. Hey, there is wisdom available if you're mature and not immature, but you won't find it in the wisdom and rulers of this age, you will find that it's secret and hidden, but it's available and it's glorious. And then he says in verse eight, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think about who he's talking to. This is during the height of the Roman Empire. You know, we can sit back today with our own sense of intelligence when we look back in history. But the Roman Empire at that time, they were the height of science, art, business, culture. It was like whew, the glory of Rome. And it was under that empire's rule and reign. 
that the Lord of glory was crucified. That the one who is truth was killed. Not only that, we have the height of religion. We've got the chief priests, the Pharisees. You know, we sit back today and, and like the Pharisees have a bad rap. We see the different things Jesus said to them. But if, but if we understand the cultural moment, this was like the height, the chief priests, the rulers, they're the ones that knew the Bible backward and forward. It was their job to teach the people. It was their job to glorify God. It was their job to recognize the Messiah when he showed up. They had the verses that said what he would look like when he arrived. He's going to look like this. He's going to come from the little town of Bethlehem. He's going to come riding in on a donkey. And according to Daniel, they should have known the day he was going to roll into town. Which, by the way, this message this morning isn't about that prophecy, but by the way, you can track historically through the records of when Daniel was in captivity with King Cyrus to the day that Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday and to the day it's when Daniel predicted that the Messiah would show up. It was their job to recognize him. Not only did they not recognize him, they didn't just miss him, they killed him. This is what Paul's talking about. So the wisdom of the, the, the culture of the day and the wisdom of the religious leaders missed it. And not only there, Herod and Pilate participated in this. They were the height of political power. If, if you go do some study and some research on how Herod got the position he got, he wasn't King Herod like his father's lineage gave him kingship. He was a swindler. He was a wheeler and dealer politically to get the territory he got and be Herod. Pilate, to get that position, he had to play the political game to move up the ladder. Prior to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, Pilate and Herod didn't like each other. But politically, they schemed together to advance their own careers and appease the people and agreed to crucify Jesus. I'm pretty sure I don't have to make a whole lot of points this morning about how political power is not going to show us the wisdom that we need. The reality is, these same forms of wisdom that fell short in that day, they fall short in every single age. You'd think we would learn this. Like we're supposed to learn from history, right? I could look back a thousand years, 500 years, 100 years, 50 years, and I will look at things that have been done the way humans viewed science, political decisions that were made, the way governments were run, things that were allowed that now we look at and scoff at and go, are you kidding me? That was allowed? And we look back like in arrogance, like look how ignorant they were. Guess what people 50 years ago did? They looked back at people who were ignorant and didn't understand and went, well, how did they do that? Yet, yet in our day, we can have this sense like we've got it figured out. Our cultural viewpoint, our cultural moment, the wisdom of the day, like we've got it figured out. Now, I don't purport that there's no wisdom 
in what our culture has, that there's no wisdom in looking at history or science or other things. I'm talking about a wisdom that is above and beyond that through which I should view the wisdom of this world. When I understand the wisdom that God offers, I can then see clearly the world around me. I make it bow down to him instead of the other way around. Look how gracious God is. I mean, in light of the the pride and arrogance of mankind, how often we've put ourselves on the throne that belongs to him and decided he needs to explain himself to me. And yet, look at this God. Look what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. If you've heard nothing else, this is what this message is about right here. But as it is written, no eye has seen nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. He's prepared something wonderful for us. And if we're willing to lay down our pride and arrogance and adopt a position of humility and say, you're God and I'm not. You're the teacher, I'm the student. What's available to us is wonderful. It's wonderful. And it's, it's out of God's love. He wants to speak to the hard issues of your life. He wants to speak to the difficult issues of our day. But we can't even begin to, to see his wisdom in that if we don't realize he loves us and there are hidden things that we don't know yet that are available in him. And how does that come about? Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Even the depths of God. He searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit invites us not only to understand things, He invites us to understand God. The primary knowledge that God wants to impart to you and I is knowledge of him. We can know him. We can discover the depths of his glory, of his majesty, of his mercy, of the life that's available in him. We can get to know the God of the universe. And as as we plumb those depths, everything else begins to be seen more clearly. I can understand everything in light of that. Check check out this next point Paul's going to make here. Verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. What he's saying is, if you want to know the inner workings of a person, you can't inspect that from the outside. I don't want to get too gross here, but like if you were going to do an autopsy on someone after they'd passed and you were, you had their physical brain lying there, you could study that all you want. You're not getting to the depths of the spirit of who that person was. It's only the life that's in that person opening up in, in honesty and transparency and inviting you in to understand how they think, how they operate, how they feel. 
I mean, we barely get a taste of that from each other. Even people we really love and trust, we give them like a little picture of that. Well, God's saying, if you really want to get to know the mind of a person, you'd have to have that insight of their spirit. And then he says, that's what my Holy Spirit is making available to you. You can know the inner workings of the heart and mind of God. You're invited in. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's making himself available. He says he freely gives it. The point of this is to know God. The point is to know God. See, if if I learn to know him, then I, I can find the answer to any problem. But is the point to know him, to have relationship with him, to get more and more intimate with him, to discover him. And that takes a miracle. So Paul kind of wraps things up like this. I'm gonna read ne- the, the next two kind of all together, Jacob. Verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Verse 16, for who has understand, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you must be born again. And he says very specifically later in that passage, to be born into the spirit of God to be born of the spirit. There are some things that we are trying so hard to cram into our natural way of thinking and God's saying, I wanna invite you into so much more. I wanna invite you into new birth, new life. I want you to experience my spirit and my presence in your life and you're gonna come alive and begin to know and understand things you can't even fathom. Now, what I'm saying might sound like it's just for someone who's never met God, but what I'm saying is daily, we have this invitation to walk with the Spirit of God, to have new life today. His mercy's new every morning. And I can wake up each day knowing and understanding Him more. I mean, imagine if the way I describe my relationship with my wife is well, I met her once and I know her name and I know where she was born, I know where she lives. And now I've got her figured out. I got the stats. Is that what a relationship with my wife is about? Me knowing a couple of key pieces of information about her? That seems obvious, right? I'm living a life with her. And even as I'm living life with her throughout the day, I'm not sitting there with a notepad just like, okay, what other things can I learn about her? No, like I'm discovering through relationships. I see how she reacts to things, how she handles different situations. I can bring joy into her life. I can bring frustration into her life. But we discover each other through relationship. But see, I I just wonder how many believers have settled for just sort of having the stats on Jesus. But the Spirit wants wants to teach us not stats. He wants us to figure out how it works. And it works in relationship. It works with knowing him. And that's what the spirit does. He invites us into a relationship with God and he teaches us a step at a time. 
This is going longer than I intended, but do y'all have like five more minutes? Are y'all doing okay on time? Okay. The good news is we don't have to tear down today. So that's kind of nice. We can leave everything set up. So we'll still get out of here at a decent time. It's African time. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to Mozambique this morning. Um, all right. So we're going to turn now. Same author, Paul, now writing to a beloved son that he's been pouring into and equipping. And he's talking to Timothy. And this is, this is found in 2 Timothy. Now, I've taught a little bit before from 2 Timothy. This is like, I don't know. Did I do something? <laughs> Um, this is like Paul's last words. He's in prison. He knows he's facing the end of his life. And he's writing a, a loving, intimate letter to someone who's been like a son to him. And in the midst of that letter, he's warning and encouraging him. The reason I'm sharing this is, I feel like everything I've talked about at this point is very, um, it's like very conceptual. I want to give some practical, Okay. And so Paul's going to get practical with Timothy about how this journey of, of knowing and discovering the truth, of walking with the Holy Spirit, how it works. And so I'm just grabbing some pieces from 2 Timothy chapter 3. It would be worth reading the whole chapter. Um, but let me just read some snippets. First of all, the warning. 2 Timothy 3, this is from verses 1 and 2 and also from 4 and 5. But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. And then he goes and describes a lot of behaviors that show being a lover of self. Ultimately, he says they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You see what he's saying the issue is? We live life pursuing self-satisfaction instead of realizing, believing that love of God will produce everything we're really looking for. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added. They have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. It's not real. It's not alive. It's just ideas. It's a form of godliness, but there's not actually any real life to it. That's the warning. He's saying, be careful of that. Don't settle for appearances. Allow his power and presence to work in you. So what's the opposite of that warning? It's this invitation, skipping down to verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete or mature, equipped for every good work. He's saying you've got this. You know, the rest of this series, we're, we're gonna move into a new direction, the series. We've been talking about who the Holy Spirit is and starting next week, we're going to be talking about cultivating a relationship. And I just have to tell you, the root of that is the Spirit of God mixing with the Word of God to bring about real relationship with Him. I'm not talking about dry, dead, religious Bible reading. I'm talking about realizing the invitation to be taught by God Himself who He is, who we are, 
in how he calls us to live in this world. This is the treasure map. The hidden things of God that he was talking about that are available, we're gonna find them in his word and then we're gonna watch it come alive in our life. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He invites us into this relationship that teaches us and changes us. All the things we've already talked about that he does, he connects us to God and he connects us to people. He brings comfort. He helps us. All of those things flow out of knowing him. And he wants to be our personal teacher, inviting us into a relationship. I want to close with a picture. Um, you know, we said last Sunday um, that, that the water was a picture of the Holy Spirit. But there's also a very specific visual of water that represents the Holy Spirit. It's the river. Jesus said um, he'll be like a river of living water flowing through you. Well, there is a picture of this very living water, this river that God intends for us found in Ezekiel. And it's kind of mysterious. It's in Ezekiel chapter 47. You can read the whole picture in there. I'm gonna just give you the high points. But the visual is this vision of, of God's temple and water was bubbling up and flowing out of his temple and then out of the city of Jerusalem and it was flowing like a river. And Ezekiel was finding himself being invited to take steps out into that river. And so he, he wanders out and they go about a thousand feet in. That's pretty far. That's yeah, almost a quarter mile. Like they're, they're going out into the, the river and it's about ankle deep. And then they go another thousand feet and it's knee deep. Another thousand feet, it's waist deep. And then eventually they get out there. It's so deep, they got to swim. It's over their head. And this river that's flowing out, it's producing something. Everywhere that it goes and everything that it touches, life springs forth. There's an abundance of fish. The very shoreline begins to change that the river's running along. The river makes it down to the salty sea and it says the sea becomes fresh water. It's that life-giving that it can take something that's salty and dead and bring it back to life. It's producing all of this life that changes things. And it says along the shore of this river, all these different kinds of trees are growing and they've got these beautiful leaves and the leaves never stop and it produces fruit all year round. And then Ezekiel says the leaves are for the healing of people and the fruit is for the feeding of people. That was written 600 years before John the apostle was on a lonely island after so many followers of Jesus had been killed for their faith in Jesus, and he's an old man now on the island of Patmos, awaiting his death, and he gets a glorious vision that we call the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he finishes the story of that vision and uses this same visual of a river flowing out of the city of God and trees that are growing on the side of it and the leaves being the healing for the nations and the fruit being available to feed the people. The river flows from the temple. What's, what's God's temple now? The New Testament teaches us that we are now the temple of God. And he makes his home in us. And it's his spirit that resides there. And what he's saying is this river is available in our life. And it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're ankle deep, cool, keep walking. The water's fine. 
go knee deep. Keep walking. It's waist deep. Man, dive off the very end into the deep end. See what he has for you. Don't settle. Don't stop. Don't set up camp in just ankle deep water. He's inviting us into a river of life that will flow and it will change us. It'll bring life everywhere we let it touch. Do you want God's life to just touch your ankles? I want to be overwhelmed by the love of God, by the life that's available in him. And the beauty is a life that's surrendered like that, that's swimming in the river, it's being taught by him, that life begins to touch other lives. And the healing that we long to see can happen. There is no wisdom of this age that's going to solve the problems of this age. It's not there. If it was, we would have figured it out by now. This is a pretty cool nation founded on pretty cool principles. It's been running for a couple hundred years now. How's it going? And we think the fight is with each other. Like, well, I've got the answer. No, I've got the answer. No, we don't. He's got the answer. He's got life. And he's wondering when people will decide to believe that about him and let his life flow through us. That we'll have some humility and say, God, you're God and I'm not. And this is a mess and my life is a mess. And let truth flow into us and begin to see something real that people can feed off of. Something that can bring real healing and touch broken people. There is wisdom from heaven that can speak into every situation. It starts by knowing the God who has all wisdom and understanding. And that's the invitation that's available through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we will let him be our teacher. Amen? I want to close with this and I'm going to pray. Um, man, my son Micah, I, I learned so much stuff from that kid. He loves the water. He loves the water. And, um, you know, one of the things I've just watched for years with him is he loves the ocean. We go to the ocean. He doesn't want to sit on the beach. He doesn't want to watch the waves. He will just keep pointing out. I, I want to go out there. And so it's like, okay, cool, Micah, we'll go out there. And so when we go out there and we get out there pretty far, you know what he says? Out there. <laughs> I have never taken him so far out that he was pointing back. He's never done that. We've gone out in boats like way out there where if you dive down, it's like 20 feet deep and he's still just going. If I ask Micah, what do you want to do? Every time, without Alex, is, has been a witness to this many times. Every time, out there. When we moved here to Knoxville, one of the things I loved is this river that's running through things, running through towns. Like, oh, it's going to be cool living near the water. Guess what happens when we go over to the park by the water? Is he content to play at the park? Out there. He wants to go in a kayak. And I'll never forget the first time that instead of letting him ride with me in the kayak, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see what happens. <laughs> if we give him the oars and let him go. And I'll just try to stay close to him. And he's out there in the kayak and he's a mess. I mean, it's like the, you know, the paddles are doing like this. They're just sort of slapping the top of the water. And I mean, he's spinning in circles and like he has no control. But imagine if I just stopped him and go, nah, you're messing it up. You're missing the point. Get back in the boat with me. No, I just kind of let him go for it. Splash around and look kind of messy and go in circles and 
but he started to figure it out. And now Micah can get in a kayak with paddles and he can go, that's where I want to go and he can get there. And he can steer and control that thing. That's the invitation that's available to us. Just jump in the kayak. It can be messy. You can go around in circles for a while. My, my life with God has often looked like me spinning around in circles and even going backwards. But the invitation to jump in the river is there. I want to be like Micah. I want to be like my kid and see God's invitation and just go out. I want to go out there. Let's go for it. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. Let's pray. God, I don't, I don't even know what to pray other than just to say yes. Yes to you. Yes to your spirit. God, I, I want to apologize for the pride and arrogance I still carry. God, I know this is available. And I still, so often, I'm leaning on my own wisdom and I'm trying to be in charge. God, I'm still learning to be the student and let you be the teacher. But God, thank you that you, you lovingly just continue to warn me against trusting my own wisdom and the wisdom of this age. And you lovingly invite me out into the river to go a little deeper with you. God, thank you that I can know you and that in knowing you, I can discover life itself. Holy Spirit, help me to say yes to you and to trust you to be my teacher and my guide. I pray that for myself. I pray that for my friends. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.